0: Hello, welcome to Loving Susan, a podcast full of helpful ideas for those who love someone with a mental illness, such as depression, anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, BPD, bipolar, or schizophrenia. From Alexandra Georges, author of Mom and Me, My Journey with Mom's Schizophrenia. Welcome to our show. Welcome, I'm Alexandra, and I'm so glad you tuned in again today for Loving Susan. Today's topic is, what do you do when your loved one is not willing to take medication and or your loved one doesn't know or admit that they are sick? Yeah, these dilemmas are very common. You are not alone if you're dealing with this right now with your loved one. Not alone at all. Very, very common with people with mental illnesses. So, let's ponder all that. The first question I want to ask you is have you always taken medication exactly as your doctor ordered? Now be honest. And have you always done exactly what your doctor told you to do? Yeah. Well, you know, if you if you're honest with yourself, probably remember a few times when he probably didn't completely follow the doctor's orders exactly. This is because it's somewhat normal for us to not always do that. It's to question the doctor, to think, well I think I know better than them. Because you do know yourself better. You live in your body. So some of this is normal. I had a Greek grandmother that I love so much (laughs) and this was what she used to say. She says, "I don't like the doctor. I don't think they know what they do." <laughs> I said, "Grandma, no, they know what they do. They, they know. No, they do not know. I don't think they know." And when I was young, it disturbed me. She said these things. As I got older, I realized they really are, you know, not, they're not magical-powered people, right? They're they're doing the best they can, but. You know we do know our own bodies and there you do need to take some power and control about your health so to some degree that isn't all that bad and it is normal so keep that somewhat in mind with your loved one uh, another big reason common reason why people may not take drugs for mental illness is the side effects and yes there can be some really hard side effects to some of these antipsychotic and and mental illness drugs they are powerful drugs i once heard a psychiatrist speak at a conference and he said he wanted to see what these drugs felt like so he took one of the medications he had prescribed for one of his patients and he said he could not believe how strong it was and how much it affected him he warned us all these are very powerful drugs i thought wow that takes guts to do what he did and also the drugs are not um, like pinpointed one particular part of the brain, you know, they affect the whole system, the whole body. So there are drugs that reduce the dopamine and serotonin transmission and the neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters in the brain, for instance, but that will also affect other parts of the body because it's all related. Uh, that it's, it's kind of how these drugs are and how the brain is. It's, it's connected to the body. Um, Depakote is one of the drugs that uh, some people have given the nickname "Depa Depabloat because it's known to cause weight gain, which can be very difficult, a very difficult uh, side effect of these drugs. They can also cause other side effects like drowsiness, digestion issues, lower sex drive, and what if a person's trying to have a family? That can be really difficult. Dry mouth, blurred vision, and many, many other side effects. So what you want to do is not tell them, Tolerate it anyway, because that may not work. Or yeah, those drugs don't work. Don't do medication, because thats not, <laughs> I've seen people do both. There is some other options, and probably the best one is talk to your psychiatrist and explain to them this is not acceptable and see if there's a better choice. I knew a guy who had bipolar. He gained 30 pounds on his bipolar medication, which for him was a deal breaker. It was not okay. He went to a psychiatrist said I am very unhappy with this weight gain I don't like this. The psychiatrist gave him a different medication. He went on that medication. It still manages bipolar symptoms, and he was able to lose all thirty pounds. So that's a nice story that it is a possibility that there may be a better drug. There's a larger arsenal than there used to be, and that all the drugs do not have the same side effects. Okay, so if there are side effects blocking your loved one from taking the medication, I would encourage them, let's get a different drug for you. Let's see what else we can do. And that can be hard, and you may have already gone down that path, but it's something to try if you haven't, okay? Um, and also, um, you might wanna get a second opinion and go to a different psychiatrist or because the doctors may be thinking differently and prescribing differently. Along those lines, It would be important to help your loved one if they're not able to do this, to keep a good record of everything they've been on, the dosage levels, how it affects them, both in terms of does it decrease symptoms and what are the side effects. Having a good medication history log is really important with a current psychiatrist and even more if you change, right? Because you want them to know already, I've been on that path, that one did this, I don't like it. Keeping good records will help you get closer to the right med for your loved one. Also, we have genetical testing available now that can actually rule out medications that may not be effective or will be effective for your loved one based on their genetics. Isn't that cool? Wow, fantastic. So don't waste your time on a drug that is probably not going to work. Another reason why, uh, especially people with bipolar, will not take medication is that mania feels darn good. And it can, when people are manic they don't sleep for days, so oftentimes, they have a lot of energy, they can do a crap load of stuff. There's a lot of famous artists uh, who are have bipolar and when they're manic, they create so much great stuff. They just, they're creative and it's amazing. Uh, they also, some people with bipolar can be pretty much, I have all the answers, and so they feel pretty smart. In their own mind, uh, you'd know not to bother arguing with them because it doesn't go anywhere. So, mania feels good. And when they're on a drug that reduces the highs and lows, they lose. They lose that mania. And that could be a big loss for them. They don't like that. Some people say, I don't feel like myself. Well, yeah, you're not. You know, that is the point. And that can be a very tough thing for them. And they may not be willing to do that unless there's enough of a benefit. It's all about cost benefit. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but that might be one of the reasons. Now people with schizophrenia, one of their reasons is that one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is anosognosia, which is a nice long word for they actually have a disruption in the frontal lobe of their brain that inhibits them from knowing they are sick. It is actually the brain, it's like a block in the brain that keeps them from knowing that the voices they're hearing is a sickness. It's actually a symptom. So it's not like they're just being stubborn or it's a defense mechanism. It is actually part of the you know, disruption of the brain. So they're not going to be able to see that they're sick. And you can spend all day, all night for the rest of your life trying to convince them and it ain't gonna work. So don't. Don't go there. It's not going to help you. You don't have to for them to get well. That's the good news. By the way, if we do get them on medication like clozapine, they've, studies have shown that that may actually improve insight. So once they get on the medication, they do start seeing, oftentimes, that they are sick. Another reason why a loved one may not be on medication is kind of has to do with self-esteem, because being on a medication kind of means you're sick and. No one likes to think of them as sick. You know, that's less than. It's it's like their own acceptance process isn't quite there. Um, There's a famous book on death and dying came out many years ago. I read it in college about the five steps of acceptance of a loss, and the five steps are denial, uh, bartering, anger, depression, and acceptance. With your loved one with their illness, they may have to go through some of these stages and uh, they may start with denial. That might just be a normal, not with the anosognosia, they just may not want to see it. Okay, that could be there for them. The bartering could be, well, I took the meds for three months, I'm better now. That's part of their bartering stage. Okay, then the anger could be when they realize, oh my gosh, I'm back in the hospital, and they're pissed off, right? And then the depression might be that they're so sad that they're I have to do this illness the rest of my life, right? And then the acceptance is, all right, fine, I have to do this. This is, this is just the way it is. I'm going to make the best of it. That's can be quite a long process for them to go through that. And guess what? You're going through it as well. You have your own loss. Your loved one has changed. That is really hard. You've lost who they were. You want to get it back. Well, they're not going to be that necessarily. Their brain may not let them be that they're going to be somebody else or, or not somebody else, but they're going to be different and it doesn't necessarily mean bad. Okay. It's just, it could be, there can be some new blessings. I'll talk about that in another session about embracing what's beautiful about your loved one as they are. Cause I think there's a lot to that as well, but we're both going through this acceptance process and there might need just time. All right. Another reason why, Folks may not take meds is that they're not working or they don't seem to work, right? Now the first thing to ask is how long you've been on it because these meds do not work that quickly. With schizophrenia the the meds usually start working within a week or two but the average length for them to really reduce the delusions and hallucinations is about two months. I mean it's not quick. With OCD the medication takes between 6 and 12 weeks. 12 weeks is three months. With depression, the average length is about two to six weeks. So it can take anywhere from three a week to three months for a drug to start really showing it works. So know that if it hasn't been that much time, you got to give it more time, unfortunately. Another reason why a drug may not work is that the diagnosis may not be right. Now what can we do about that? Well, again, I tell you this every week. You need to take the nominally Family to Family class, which is a free class. I'm one of the teachers. It's a fantastic class. And one of the things we teach in that class is what are all the symptoms of the major mental illnesses. And that's very important because as a family member, if you can learn about those and identify what's going on in your loved one, and if you have opportunity to talk to their doctor with them or without them, <clears throat> that helps the doctor diagnose because the only way the doctor can diagnose mental illness is by the information given to him or her verbally or what they observe directly on the person, not by a blood test, not by a a scan. It's about information shared, words shared. (laughs) So if you can uh, yourself know what to look for, because I'll tell you, I didn't know, how much was involved in schizophrenia until I got educated. I thought it was just hearing voices and having delusions. It's way more, way more stuff going on than that. So if you learn more about it and you have opportunity to tell your their doctor, their doctor might get to a better diagnosis or a different diagnosis. And by the way, HIPAA law does not inhibit you from sharing with their doctor what you see. That doctor may not be able to share with you without a consent, but you can share with them. Now you may choose not to do that or not do that, Depending on your relationship with your loved one, they loved woman say no way, don't talk to my doctor. In that case, we want to work on trust, trust with your loved one. In matter of fact, you always want to work on trust with your loved one, and not to manipulate them. You truly want to have a trust relationship with your loved one, a two way trust. It's always going to be a good thing. But if you're already at that point, we have trust. This is a way you can help them get to the diagnosis better. Another uh, common thing is. <clears throat> with people with bipolar when they're in the early stages let's say they're they have a mania hit them and they're having lots of energy they don't sleep they write 100 songs and you know they create a bunch of art and man everything's good and then they dive into depression and they just want to end their life they can't get out of bed and life is really bad they go to the hospital or they go to the doctor and they say i just i just don't want to live anymore i'm just I'm so depressed. The doctor says, oh, you have depression. They give him the antidepressant. And you know what happens with that person? They go flying high into a really high manic stage then, because that's what will happen with a bipolar when they start with the antidepressant, a bipolar person. Um, So that's why observing, understanding what mania is and seeing it in your loved one and being able to share with a doctor would help them go, Oh, wait a minute, right before this, you had a time of high energy, which you were doing all this stuff. Hmm. Okay. I think we're going to start with a mood stabilizer, right? So that's again, long story about why sometimes drugs may not work is we're not, we don't really have the right drugs because we don't have the right diagnosis and taking it, getting a diagnosis. If you've been struggling with that, know that you want not alone either because of the fact we don't have biomarkers and it is all on verbal information and what's observed in the actual presence of a doctor, which may not be anything, because people with mental illnesses can pull themselves together pretty well. They can really fool you. It's amazing because that's gotta not be easy. So the doctor may not see a lot of the behaviors you see. Uh, Another thing to keep in mind is do they smoke? Because cigarette smoking can decrease the levels of some antipsychotic medications in the blood making them less effective. So if they're a smoker, that could also be kind of undermining some of the medication. Now, is the answer to go yell at them and tell them not to smoke? Yeah, no. Okay, I tried that for literally decades with my poor mother, which she had to put up with me, trying to convince her to stop smoking. Um, but um, she just got mad at me and yeah, never did. And actually now there's more understanding about how smoking with nicotine levels affects the brain. And with people with schizophrenia, it it does give them like a little relief. So while they do really are getting, for them, a small relief when they do smoke. So no wonder my mother was so adamant she was gonna smoke. And you know, you gotta pick your battles. That might not be one, it's not a hard drug. You know, it's not gonna immediately kill her. Um, She didn't die from lung cancer or anything like that either. So that was good. So, but a doctor needs to know if a person's smoking so they can get the right um, dosages for them. And you also might need to try new drugs. There's a big arsenal, many, many drugs. They all don't have the same, same side effects. They all don't work the same. Also, you might get a second opinion, as I mentioned, because different doctors might know different things and might have more success. If it's not working with one, time to go for another one. Um, Also, the drugs may not take away all the symptoms as much as we wish. I once heard a man speak at a conference who was in recovery from schizophrenia. He was amazing. He was doing so well. He was so wonderful to listen to. And he let us ask questions afterwards. And a lady asked him, do the medications take away the voices? And he said, well, no, they don't. Not completely, but they're much softer now and I can ignore them. Hmm. And actually, I actually spoke recently with another guy with schizophrenia and he said he still does hear the voices, but he can—he knows the difference between them and him now and he knows when to ignore them, which is great. He's learned this technique. So yeah, medications only go so far and that's some of the things to think about with them. Also, your loved one may have a hard time remembering to take medication because mental illnesses are They really are sort of taking over their brain, you know, the Obsessive thoughts and delusions and mania and depression. These things are an anxiety there It's so much more energy goes into that than you might realize So doing something like taking a drug every day may be quite a chore for someone with a mental illness If they let you help them, that's fantastic That's great Um, a monthly depot injection solution might be great. Many drugs come out, come with that where they can get a once a month shot if your loved one's willing to go that way. Something to think about. Um, but that may be the whole reason is it's just hard for them to remember. Not that they're against it or something. Another reason a loved one may not take medication is they like to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. And if your loved one's doing that, my friend, that is very common very common you are so not alone and I know how hard that is very hard you know because and scary because you don't know what that's going to lead to with them Uh, I know folks who think marijuana works better than the actual medication studies have shown not to be true at this point but they may not agree with you When it comes to substance abuse, you are somewhat limited in your power because those are so addicting and so powerful. Um, It may be they have to go to the school of hard knocks before they're willing to go to a different path. And you might have to really look at being sure you're not an enabler, my friend. You know, classic AA stuff, Al-Anon stuff. It does apply with mental illness. Yes, it does. You think, well, they don't know what they're doing. Should they have consequences? Well, yeah, actually, yes. They do need consequences, not just for drugs and alcohol issue, but any, from their mental illness in general, um, it's, it's okay for them to have the consequences of the illness if that helps lead them, well, it, it is, and it may help them lead, lead them to choosing a better path of recovery. And so for you to always step in and kind of save them doesn't lead them to recovery. And I know that's really hard because you love them and you don't want them to suffer. Of course not. But they're suffering because they're staying sick. See, so they might need to lose relationships. They might need to get in debt terribly or get arrested or, you know, these things that are just so difficult to watch. It may lead them to actual recovery. So we can get in the way of their recovery by saving them from it all. Okay. My mom didn't go on to medication until after an alcohol overbu- overdose, two suicide attempts, and she lost everything she owned but the clothes I got for her. I mean, almost everything she owned, which is really tough. I mean, oh my gosh, we lost so much when that happened. But that was her turning around point. That's when she said yes to treatment, help, and therapy. And she did get better. So as hard as that is, that might be where they have, we have to go with our loved one. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that say your loved one doesn't know that they're sick with an, uh, on a anosognosia. Don't spend your energy trying to convince them they're sick. Right? It's a... It's going to be a complete waste of time because their brain is not going to let them. But that again doesn't mean that they can't get help. What you want to focus on is what what do they want in life, and how can how can we tie that to behaviors that help them get it? Okay. So for instance, you might say, you know how those medications you seem to sleep better, right? That could be something they want. They want to sleep better. You know how you know how when you take the meds, you feel calmer. Okay, again, a benefit. You you know, it seems like you're able to keep your job when you're on the meds. So these are things where you, you don't talk anything about, oh, this will help you with your schizophrenia. No, you talk about a benefit they want and how that med helps with that benefit. That's the angle, okay? And also, you might need to say, if you want to live with me, you have to take the meds. And that's okay to do. Because you need your life to be peaceful as well. OK, um, you might tie it to things they want you to do for them. Say your daughter wants you to buy closer or say, well, you know, if you take your meds every day this week, I will take you shopping this weekend. Right. A positive reward for good behavior. You know, it works with teenagers. I had teenage kids and when I, <clears throat> when I first got married. Um, they were leaving their wet towels on the bathroom floor and dirty dishes all over the counter and I thought, oh my goodness, I can't tolerate this. So I gave them a $5 a week allowance and I said, okay, for every wet towel left on the floor and every dirty dish left on the counter for more than a day, I gave them a day, you get deducted 50 cents per item. It was only one week where one of them got deducted a little bit and they never did it again. These kids learned so fast. They were great. So it was simple, you know, but it worked. And it would probably work in some cases with those with mental illnesses, may not with your loved one. If I know where they're at, it may not do one bit of good, I understand. Um, the other things to think about is, get this book, write this down, I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, by Javier Amador, spelled with an X. X-A-V-I-E-R, Amador. I am not sick. I don't need help. This is, for me, one of my most favorite books out there. And I've read many, many books on uh, mental illness. But this one is so cool and so important. And he talks about a lot of what I'm just sort of introducing to you now. Uh, He calls it, uh, he invented this thing called the LEAP method, L-E-A-P. And it stands for listen, empathize, agree, and partner. And I'll give you a real short short class in it a little introduction to it so first step, listen so this is where you try to just uh, really zone in on what your loved one is expressing when they talk to you and reflecting back what you hear without your own commentary or disagreeing or arguing and no judgment right so um showing respect for their point of view even though it may be like from, you know, the sun to the Pluto is different than how you think, but you want to try to work on the strengthening your relationship and your trust relationship with them and respecting them. And and then they will respect you if you respect them. I mean, it's, it's gotta be mutual to be real true respect. Dr. Amador says, you win on the strength of your relationship, not in the strength of your argument. So you may think you're right and okay, maybe you're right, but in their perspective, you're not. So you first want to listen. I'm going to talk, give you an example of this in a second. The second is to step is to empathize. So zero in on their feelings. Not only their words, but what is their emotion and feeling and validate that. So here it might be an example. My mother said to me once when I was in high school, a truck tried to drive me off the road today and kill me. Okay. So now at the time I said, what do you mean, mom? How do you know that? that doesn't make any sense. I don't think anybody's trying to kill you. Nobody wants to kill you, Look, What come on a truck, you know, you're overreacting. You know, i probably said all kinds of wrong things because <laughs> that's our natural response, right? It's understandable if you've gone there, but this new method, give this a try. It would be something more like saying, wow, mom, a truck tried to run you on the road today. That sounds so scary. If that happened to me, I would be quite shaken. Okay. Totally different way. I'm saying back what she said, a truck tried to run you off the road today and I'm zeroing in on how she feels. She is scared. She is truly scared. She truly believes this and she's truly scared. This is where you want to start is where are they at? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And you let them know, I get it and you be sure you get it. Don't just let them know. You really do get it, right? Not spending the energy saying, no, that's not true. And if, and then also a good idea is to, ve- to hold back on your own thoughts. So if she said, well, what do you think? Don't say it yet. Say, you know, I will tell you in a second, I want to first really be sure I understand where you're at. <laughs> I'm telling you friends, this will actually work. <laughs> this is a great way to communicate with actually anybody, but especially a person who's symptomatic with a mental illness. And the next step is agree. So you, as, as after you've heard them, you try to get to, What do you both agree on? As I mentioned before, you both want them to stay out of the hospital, for instance. That's a common goal. It's not spending time saying, but you have mental illness, mom. You have schizophrenia. No, you don't go there. She's not going to agree with that. So let that go. There are other things you can have agreement on. This is like working on the win-win, you know, trying to have you both come out winning in your argument. So, like I said, you might say, okay, you, you want to stay out of the hospital. So then you come up with P, partner. How can you both partner at that? Well, it seems like I may be wrong, but it seems like when you went on medication, you were out of the hospital longer. Can we agree that we try that for, you know, a week, you know, you come up with some kind of partnership agreement. And again, um, it's not about you're right, they're wrong. Um, Dr. Xavier talks about using the three A's. Apologize for your different opinions, acknowledge your failability, and agree to disagree. So it would be saying something like, you know, I'm sorry that I think my opinion might be upsetting to you. I don't want to do that. It's only my opinion. I could be wrong. I just see it differently that I think the medication actually helped you. See, it's it's admitting that you really aren't the only answer all. They, they are in charge of their own body. You know, give them respect for that. And know that, let them know that you, you know, that you're fallible. You could possibly be wrong. It's, it's, it's true. You know, (laughs) the medication might not be working, right? You do need to understand that and give them that. And that's more, what that does is it builds trust. It builds openness. It can make for later better conversations that go further than you want. You want to work on that. It's so important. It's something I worked on with my mom over my life without knowing this, great material from Dr. Um, Amador but I learned it through you know trial and error to just validate my mother's feelings and love her as she was and she got to the point where she totally completely trusted me and if I told her to do anything she would do it but that took years of putting aside my own agenda and and really understanding who she was and where she was at. So read his book and also um, you can check out his website it's leap institute.org on it. There's a lot of good videos where he actually has role playing, shows you how this is done, and he does a lot of teaching. And there's also a training he does a couple times a year, which is I would totally re- recommend taking advantage of. Okay, now some other things to think about is there are other treatments besides medications that may help your loved one. So let's think about that. Um, CBT is a good one, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's proved to be very helpful with people with schizophrenia. Now, does it take away everything? No, but does it help them cope? Yes, it does. It also helps people with OCD. Um, There's also uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Oh my goodness. Uh, Great book on it, a workbook that you can get, and it's now being offered Quite a lot of places. And it helps especially people with uh, borderline personality disorder, anxiety disorder, and OCD. Um, I'm sure it has more applications than that. I personally use it for myself when I'm feeling very frustrated. I use DBT techniques to help me be calm, which has been, really, it's been great, I can tell you. This stuff is really, really good. Um, there's electroconvulsive uh, uh, electric therapy, ECT, which is especially helpful for people with medication-resistant depression or with catatonia or unmanageable aggression. And there's a lot of applications. And it isn't the shock treatment of the 60s where people came out like zombies. It's nothing like that. It's much more pinpointed and much more effective. And a lot of people, it does benefit. Another option is a great book by Jeffrey Schwartz called Brain Lock. This is great for people with OCD. One of my buddies has told me all about this book. He has OCD and he has found this book to be a lifesaver for him. And it's kind of the premise that when you change your behavior, you change your brain. How about that? On the back of the book, you can see it, uh, I think it's PET scans of Dr. Schwartz, one of his patients, and it shows his brain when he came in to see him and his brain after he was learned this brain lock technique. And you can see the brain is actually operating differently. I mean, wow. So step one of that is to relabel. So with my buddy, let's say he was going to work one day and all of a sudden a thought came in his brain, you left the stove on, that gas is on, it's going to explode, it's going to kill your mom who's at home, it's going to kill her. You better go back and turn it okay what he does is he calls his friend who is a trust partner for him that he knows will tell him the truth so he's got one which is great and he'll say hey man i'm having this thought that if i don't go back home my mom's gonna die is that me is that true do you think or is that the ocd and his buddy will go hey that's the ocd yeah that's the ocd so he helps him relabel it okay this is not a real thought, this is the OCD entering my thoughts. And that's step two is reattribute. This is from brain wiring. This is from a circuitry issue where it just goes into this loop and it just gets stuck there, right? So then step three is called refocus, where he does another activity, which literally makes the brain think about something else. It switches it differently. It might be doing something nice for somebody else or a hobby, a physical thing. And the book has way more than I'm telling you. I'm, I'm giving you a real super light version of this. Uh, you wanna actually get his book to go through the details. And, and DBT is also some of these same techniques. Um, and so what that does is it, it helps the brain to stop going in that circle. And so if your loved one has OCD, encouraging them to go ahead and wash their hands a hundred times a day is actually not helping them. It's not, it's better to get them distracted. Let's go take a walk. Let's go do this. That's better for them. And then step four is revalue. This is what comes out, uh, out after using this technique where you realize all this stuff is worthless distractions. They do not save people's lives. It's taking energy away from me and it helps the whole system to say no to it. So there's a whole nother thing uh, to keep in mind. My buddy, he was on medication for OCD. Then he started doing this brain lock book. And over time, he found he needed the meds, not at all. And he was able to wean off of them and just use this technique and it changed his brain. So bottom line of all this, however, is this is your loved one's life. And with with all this, you may still have zero influence on them because sometimes you do. And so we might have to accept their choices as hard as they are. I know it's very hard sometimes. Um, But if you can focus more on as much as you can, keeping a positive relationship and not making this a war with them, that will be a good thing for now and for long term. That's the best sometimes we can do. So that's all I had today. Hopefully this was helpful to you and encouraging in some way. That's certainly my heart's desire is that this would help people not feel so alone and have some nuggets of thought that might bring some peace in your life. That's my goal. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at georgas at comcast.net. I'll answer you if you do. And I hope you come back again next time for another topic. And with that, have a blessed day. Bye.